What is going on, Wellness Gang? Welcome back to Embodied Wellness Radio, a podcast framed around making women healthy again. What is up, gang? Denon and Sarah here from Embodied Wellness Co. And today is going to be an info-packed episode. So grab your pens and paper and let's get started. Now, I know a lot about gut health. Sarah knows a lot, a lot about gut health. But when it comes to talking about gut health in combination with a new topic that's only been coming up, I feel like in the past couple of years, mitochondria, that's where things get a little bit sticky. Many of us remember mitochondria from grade 10 as the powerhouse of the cell. And that was about the extent of my knowledge on mitochondria until about a year and a half or two years ago, I heard somebody talking about it on a podcast and was like, this is going to be a really big area of research in the up and coming years. And it really has been popping up. And I'm so stoked to share and to understand more about just how integral mitochondria is for our health. Yeah, so today we're going to be joined by Roland Pankowicz to dive into this topic. And Roland is an expert on all areas of health. And trust me, when I say an expert, I mean like Roland was quietly, I would say one of the brightest minds when it comes to the health industry in general, even though he's quite modest about it and he probably won't admit it. If you're watching the video, you could see how modest he is in his face right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. And honestly, even like being praised by one of my mentors, Ben Pakulski, as being one of the smartest people he's ever met. And I thought that was quite a praise on a podcast that I heard. But Roland's traveled the world speaking and educating on all topics of health, starting uh, even Canada's one of first uh, health optimization clinics and works with high performing individuals, including business owners and professional athletes to help find uh, optimal health and performance in their lives. Welcome, Roland, to the show. And before we get into the nitty gritty details of gut health, mitochondria and all of the fun things in between, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your story and how you got here today. Thanks for having me, both of you. That was a, that was an awesome intro, and it's weird when someone bestows all these things about you. You're like, really? <laughs> this is how, this how you're seeing it? Because for me, it's my normal. I, I will tell the story, but I do want to say one thing, because this is a women's focused podcast, right? So all the ladies listening today, thank your moms for your mitochondria, because that's where you get them from. And all of the ladies listening, if you take care of your mitochondria, you ensure the health of your children's mitochondria in coming generations. Because nature did the most responsible thing when it came to hanging down mitochondrial genetics. It gave it to the female because men are just, we're we're guys, we lose things. Damn right. (laughs) So nature knew what she was doing. She gave it to the women. So we'll we'll come back to mitochondrial stuff. Um, So yeah, my my story is, uh, it's an interesting one. Uh, I have always been fascinated by the, I like coming up with questions that don't have answers rather than having answers that can't be questioned. Mm-hmm. Take a second to unpack that one. Um, for me, it's yeah, mind blown. Uh, <laughs> I'm always trying to figure out, well, what else can we do? What else can we understand? And how do things work in a system? Because the human body is looked at in a very segmented way. In the Western world, you know, we have a gastroenterologist who may see, you know, thousands of clients a year and they never talk to an immunologist or a rheumatologist. And you might go, well, why would they talk to each other? I've heard of something called autoimmunity. That's where those two things intersect. So, you know, Sarah, you were saying this before, the body is interconnected. And I have just been trying to figure out the patterns of what goes on within our physiology and extending that out now to, you know, the energetics and the physics of what goes on in our existence that can impact our physiology. So, you know, that's where I am now with things, but it started with me being an exercise professional and, you know, counting reps and memorizing exercises was just so boring. I felt like an assembly line worker. So I'm like, I want to know how muscles work. So I started studying the physics of exercise. I'm like, oh, I want to know how to train a pro athlete or someone with a broken joint. And so I started doing that. And eventually I 
I got pulled out of the exercise world into the world of nutrition. And when I was in school, I was like, oh, this is so cool. This is what I wanted. We learn about how food affects our health and how food choices can change our intended direction of you know, where our physiology goes. And then I went, oh, this is boring because I don't know what's going on with someone. If only there were a way I could test something like a doctor does, I would have a tool. Then someone walked functional medicine into my world. I'm like, holy shit, this exists. So I started studying functional medicine and I got bored with their way of doing things because it was a little too segmented. And I devised my own way to look at functional medicine in labs. And then you keep going deeper and deeper into biochemistry. I started traveling around the world, lecturing and mentoring with um, the founder of Health Optimization Medicine. And you start realizing that we're getting so myopic in our focus of like, oh, this nutrient for this way to boost the mitochondria or this bacteria should have this effect in the gut. And you realize you can't actually measure these things chemically, but there's a deeper level that we can actually look at to optimize health, which is kind of where I am now with what I call bioenergetic medicine. So there's more to the story, but I know we have a podcast that people are probably more interested in about topic wise than my background, but that's kind of where I've come. I've kind of run the gamut through all the aspects of health to realize that, um, you can't separate physical, psycho-emotional, mental, and spiritual health. And that's what I'm trying to champion for nowadays. Mm -hmm. And that's such an important message and something that we also preach. And I've gone through kind of a similar path. I started studying, you know, phytotherapy, which is Western herbal medicine and nutrition. And I'm very, very grateful for the education I had where we, it wasn't just nutrition. We were learning physiology, pathophysiology, biochemistry. So it really was like a full scope of understanding, but still there are all these little bits and pieces. And then I started studying Chinese medicine, which is all about patterns, right? And Ayurveda, how do you know something? You observe it. So it's really looking at, okay, so we can have knowledge, but we also need to understand patterns and how things are connected. Because without that middle piece of understanding the connection between everything, literally everything, Thing, we're still segmented, as you mentioned. And I always preach this to my clients is you can't just look at one issue. You know, if a client has digestive issues, if we only look at their digestion, you're not going to get very far with helping to heal them. So we really do need to understand how our body is connected to our thoughts, our energy, our environment. And that is really how we start to bring ourselves into optimal health and optimize our health, which is not just about the physical body. So I'm so stoked to get into this podcast today. So aside from being the powerhouse of the cell, what even is mitochondria and what are some of its main functions or the top functions you would say in the body? So yeah, they are the little cellular power plants. Um, most people don't know that mitochondria used to actually be their own organism separated from us. So back before humans or any complex creatures existed, you had rising and falling oxygen levels, right? So if there's no oxygen, it's anaerobic. So you ferment energy, which is what happens when we do like a 50 meter sprint. We're doing anaerobic metabolism to make energy faster than our bodies can use oxygen. But if we become an endurance runner, like a marathon runner, we're using oxygen to make energy, which is far more efficient. So billions of years ago, a mitochondria was its own little aerobic cell that was engulfed by an anaerobic cell because it wanted the benefits of having the ability to make oxygen, sorry, make energy when oxygen was around, but also have a fallback plan when it wasn't. And that created the modern day cell, which is the underpinning of all of us as complex organisms, a house cat, a fly, a human, a horse, we all have the same kind of cell structure. And the mitochondria was the way for us to basically be able to make energy without having to eat 10,000 to 20,000 calories of food a day, 
because anaerobic metabolism was really inefficient. But some of the other things that they do is they control like genetic transcription. So they talk to the nucleus of the cell to always give it like a status update. Uh, when our cells are infected by a virus or a bacterial pathogen, they're the ones that kind of put the cell on high alert to make the inner environment so inhospitable. So a virus can't insert its DNA in our own nucleus and replicate. Um, mitochondria decide when a cell dies. Uh, and they also communicate systemically through um, different metabolites that they secrete. So they're a way of kind of like always checking on, on the health status of our body from a cell, but that cell evolves out to a tissue, which goes to like an organ, then us, the whole organism. So our systemic health and our ability to prevent the development of disease is directly correlated to how healthy our mitochondria are. So kind mm -hmm. of like, the, the quarterbacks, if you will. It's not the nucleus isn't the one that's in charge. It's kind of these guys who determine everything because without energy, nothing else matters. So what happens, let's say, if there is a dysfunction in the mitochondria, what breaks down and what do we start to run into? So anything that creates mitochondrial dysfunction compromises energy metabolism. And I think it's important to set the tone that people think energy is like a Red Bull or a coffee. That's stimulation. You can be stimulated by giving yourself caffeine or nicotine or something, but energy in my mind is um, the body having enough energy resources to perform any function. So you never have massive lulls of chronic fatigue. Uh, you never have the inability to do something physical, mental, like having enough energy means that you can optimize your physiology and performance at any time. So if we have a compromised pattern in the mitochondria, the body starts to break down. And if that's in a specific organ, you start to see that show up on, say, a lab test. So if someone has uh, liver issues, their mitochondria in their liver is not detoxifying things properly. Or if someone has muscle weakness, the muscle mitochondria is not allowing the muscle to contract properly because it's not making enough energy. So when there's a deficit of energy production, we see a breakdown in function. And when a breakdown in function, we start to feel like we're not well. So anyone who's struggling with some sort of disease, be it acute, chronic, degenerative, um, a diagnosis of any sort, there's always a mitochondrial component that's in there that we have to find a way to regenerate so that organ can come back online. Mm -hmm. So to kind of recap and just explore this a little bit further, you're saying that if someone had any issue in the body, so let's talk about fatigue, right? We're talking about energy systems. So let's say someone is presenting symptoms of HPA axis dysfunction or better known as adrenal fatigue, whatever you want to call it, talking about a similar thing. Would there be a way to test or know a difference between just general mitochondrial fatigue throughout the body or a very specific consideration like HPA axis dysfunction or with HPA axis dysfunction, is there always issues with mitochondria? Yes, to say that the last statement is true. So when someone has uh, HPA axis issues, they're basically having to kick in their hormones to kind of compensate for their lack of energy, right? So that person's under high levels of stress. If you ask um, your mitochondria to make more energy than they're used to, to producing, there's a period of time where they can compensate, which is that HPA upregulation. So when someone's stressed, you can recruit a lot of resources for a while, until your body gets depleted. So if you start missing essential vitamins, you're starting to miss minerals, your blood sugar is imbalanced. Those are all the inputs to regulating energy production. It's like building a house when you run out of bricks and shingles. Eventually, you're just going to stop in the middle of construction. So anytime you have a systemic HPA axis problem, 
you have a mitochondrial problem. And how you can test that go is a couple different ways. If you look at something like a basic cortisol test, if someone has chronically low cortisol, we can assume that the mitochondria in the adrenal glands isn't producing enough energy to manufacture cortisol anymore. So that's how to determine that that's both an HPA problem and a mitochondrial problem. If you want to test someone systemically, uh, if you test their micronutrient levels and you see that they're missing B2, B3, B5, all of B vitamins, magnesium's low, zinc and calcium are low. Well, those are like the currency that the mitochondria use to turn the carbs and the fats we eat into energy. And then the third thing is if you run something like an organic acid test, you can look at like all the pathways that you can measure in the body to see if the mitochondria is making the right amount of, of they're called metabolites, but you're basically testing how strong energy metabolism is, metabolism is systemically. And if it's low, if it's um, compromised and the person's feeling pretty crappy, well, that's a pretty safe way to go. You probably have some sort of mitochondrial dysfunction. Now we got to go dive in and see what's causing it. Is it a nutrient deficiency problem? Is it a calorie problem? Is it a digestive problem? Is it some kind of toxic accumulation problem? Is it an infection? There's all different reasons as to why that may be there. Mm -hmm. And so I guess there's no way to directly test the mitochondrial in your cell, but we're looking at kind of the outcome or the um, effect they have on the body and how those systems are working. So going back to what you mentioned about B vitamins being really important for giving your cells energy and for helping with that ATP or energy production, what are some of the other vitamins, minerals, and material that the mitochondria need in order to function optimally? So the most important thing for mitochondrial like structure, believe it or not, are amino acids and minerals. So if someone is on a protein deficient diet, especially missing their essential amino acids, next to water, proteins are like the most important structure in the body. So if you're not either eating enough protein or you're not digesting your proteins properly, there's a chance you're not going to be building high quality tissue. And the second thing is, you know, we, we learned this thing and I always like to say, you guys, have you ever mentioned the Krebs cycle on this podcast before? What we actually see is that wheel of energy production. We've left that out on purpose. <laughs> Mention it, no, but. I never have to go into that because it's health professionals. It's like, remember the Krebs cycle for a test, forget it for the rest of life. Yeah, I was going to say, I've been tested on that a few times. Could I explain it? Mm, maybe not. <laughs> it's been in and out. Yeah, when you look at it as a pattern, it's, it's how does the body take a carbohydrate and make it into energy? And you need all of these cofactors. So what I always try to remember is what are all the nutrients that my mitochondria needs every day, every second of the day, more specifically, to turn food into energy? And it's vitamin B1, magnesium, vitamin B2, B3, B5, B6, zinc, copper, phosphorus, and alpha lipoic acid. Like, that's a lot of nutrition. And not many people know what a good source of alpha-lipoic acid from a food is or from B6 for that fact. So I think it really pays dividends for people to take the responsibility for themselves to know what micronutrients are in the food you're eating. So we can stop talking about macros all the time because macros are useless mm -hmm. if you're deficient in all the micronutrients that you need to turn them into energy. Mm -hmm. Totally. And this is also why um, it's really Im important to understand how crucial minerals are for our health. And especially when we're talking about hormone health or really energy production or anything in our body, we need adequate minerals. And the truth is that unless you're actively thinking about it and you're making a point to get a mineral rich diet, 
Most of us aren't. And it also stems to quality of food, right? So our soil is very devoid of minerals and nutrients that we need. Absolutely dead nowadays. It's unfortunate. So we really have to be taking a proactive stance in, I am going to fuel my body with minerals. Every damn day, I'm going to make an effort to get these minerals in. And a really good one that I always recommend to my clients is beef liver, right? If you can't stomach it, you can just chop it up, put it in the freezer, throw back like a shot, (laughs) or having um, desiccated liver capsules because this has B vitamins, copper, super mineral rich. We always recommend that our clients take magnesium as well and getting in essential fatty acids. And the unfortunate reality is that if you're just going about eating quote unquote healthy and not actually thinking about these minerals, you're probably still not getting enough minerals. So it really is important to understand this. Yeah. Most people out there are mineral deficient. And you know, if you can stomach it, the greatest source of concentrated nutrition on the planet comes from the organs of animals. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you want to grind it up and stuff it in a sausage or put it in a burger patty, or I don't know, like hide it any way you can, if you can't, fathom the idea of what you're eating you know i've had scenarios where i give people things like liver and all of a sudden they're dreaming more vividly and i don't know exactly what mechanism is there but that's a very interesting thing to change just from starting to eat a different kind of food even in the animal kingdom they understand the importance of eating other animals livers and internal organs for example the wolf communities um what they'll do is when they kill maybe a deer or some sort of animal the pack will eat the rest of the animal, but they will always leave the liver specifically for the pack leader because they know it is the most nutrition, uh, nut- nutritiously dense and it's required for that person or I guess that animal who's leading the pack to make sure that they are number one in the hierarchy of the ability to lead what they're doing. So I think that's pretty interesting. And while we're on the topic of nutrition and and eating food, um, in recent years, there's been a lot of solid evidence that shows the constant communication between our mitochondria and our, our gut bacteria. So can you explain a little bit how poor gut health can lead to mitochondrial damage or vice versa? Okay, so we're gonna this little this one's gonna be a bit of a story. So I'm gonna try to tell this as like succinctly as possible. So buckle up, everyone. There we go. If someone has poor gut health, we're going to assume that their microbiome is not as optimal as it should be. So your audience is familiar with the microbiome, right? Mm -hmm. Very much. My analogy for the microbiome is like an ecosystem in a rainforest. So there's a hierarchy, but everything works as a, a very coordinated system. So each creature has a purpose. There's enough predators, prey. And if that's healthy, then the ecosystem can maintain itself. If someone's microbiome is unhealthy, it's like you've introduced artificial species and they're decimating the local landscape and it's throwing everything off balance. That's called dysbiosis. So someone has dysbiosis, their inner microbiome, their ecosystem is disease promoting. Doesn't mean they have a disease, but it's pro-inflammatory. So your gut is the last aspect of the outside of your body. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's inside of your actual trunk, but it's not connected to your circulatory systems like your bloodstream or your lymphatic system. So if your gut's dysbiotic, it's likely inflammatory. If that inflammatory nature causes a degrading of the gut lining, you develop this thing called leaky gut. And now your sewer system is leaking into the waterway of your house. You have shit and all the associated stuff that you should evacuate from your body going into general circulation and blood circulates around your body every three minutes. So if I'm leaking toxic material into my bloodstream, can you see how that might be a problem for every single cell that that blood circulates to? 
So what ends up happening is all these uh, endotoxins from bacteria, maybe undigested proteins from food, environmental things that I'm bringing into my system are now getting into all my organs and tissues. And when they get into the cell, it's the mitochondria that go, oh shit, this is not supposed to be here. I need to do something about this. So instead of making energy as power plants, they become more like battleships. They change the internal environment to direct energy resources away from being healthy to trying to clear out the infection or the problem that has infected our cells. And until that process is resolved, our mitochondria are trying to fight a battle. So what does that mean for us as the organism that's experienced this? Low energy, a change in mental state, a change in body composition, poor sleeping habits. Uh, all those things are a result of our body trying to fight off a potential infection that originated from us having poor gut health. And that's kind of the connection there. So systemically, our mitochondria are talking to each other and going, guys, we can only make so much energy in a day. We need to take all available resources and dedicate it to supporting the army rather than all the other aspects of society. And then unfortunately, people walk around with this stuff uh, feeling like absolute garbage all day. They'll go to the doctor, they'll run a blood test, like nothing's wrong with you, it's all in your head. It's something that's called subclinical that you can't measure. And you can put all the supplements in to try to compensate for that. I like using analogies. So imagine you're trying to put out a fire you know, Sarah's trying to put out a fire and Devin's just throwing gasoline like a shit disturber on the other side. You're keeping that fire alive. That, that's that's literally me. <laughs> it would be the other way around. I know, you, I know exactly what you do. It's like, well, this bucket's full of water, I promise you. But basically what's happening is you have something driving the inflammation and you're trying to deal with dousing the flame, but you've not cut off its fuel source. And that's the infection that may be coming in from your dysbiosis driving your leaky gut. Mm -hmm. And this is also goes a little bit deeper because if your gut health is off, you're not what you eat. You are what you would digest and absorb. So then you're also not digesting and absorbing the nutrients that you need to fuel your mitochondria who are trying to put out this flame. So now we also have kind of two sides of the coin, right? So our mitochondria is on overdrive, probably trying to deal with these issues from our intestinal permeability. And we're also not getting enough nutrients to the mitochondria to make energy or to fuel this fire. And another really common symptom or manifestation of intestinal permeability is autoimmune conditions or immune system dysregulations, because if we have shit that's not supposed to be in our blood coming into our blood, your body is like, alarm, set off the alarms, right? And so your immune system is on high drive. So can you explain to our listeners a little bit about the connection between mitochondria and immune health? Yeah, so um, when it comes to the concept of the immune system, there's some important perspectives I always like to teach people. It's the only system in your body that can heal you or hurt you. No other system has that opportunity. So in that context, if you have uh, excessive energy resources going to your immune system, you're going to wear out your soldiers. Your army is going to start to fall apart. And if you start to fatigue them, your immune system basically protects what is you from things that are not you. So if they lose the ability to understand what is not you, then they start to turn on your body. And that's the concept of autoimmunity, where your immune system loses the ability to understand the proteins of the thyroid or the proteins of a pancreas or whatever the, the diagnosis of where that autoimmune condition is. You know, if it's lupus, it's, you know, connective tissue, for example. So when there's been enough stress, enough energy depletion and enough dysregulation of the immune system, it finally gets to the point where it loses its ability to regulate keeping yourself safe and it just starts to turn on you. 
And it continues to drive that process unless we figure out what the stimulus of that was in the first place, which comes back to the gut and food. Mm -hmm. And we're actually super stoked because I'm doing my FDN certification right now. So in a few months, we're actually going to be able to offer mucosal barrier assessments for our clients, which is a really great way to kind of understand what's going on inside of the body that wouldn't show up on a lab test. So the last podcast we recorded was actually all about that is clients feeling crappy. You go to the doctor. Hey, I think I have a problem. Can you test this? Now you're good. Everything's normal. Be on your way. It's all in your head. You're feeling crappy all the time. (laughs) Too bad. You're not sick. Oh, you don't meet our standards of what's quote unquote normal. Be on your way. And it's really unfortunate because as we're talking about and discussing, there's so much that can be going on in your body that's not going to show up on a damn blood test. And it's not even if it doesn't fit within the normal parameters, that doesn't mean that your body is in optimal health. So things like this are really important to understand and to open up the discussion of just how complex our body is. And a couple lab markers like TSH or Um, CRP is pretty good because it can fluctuate quite rapidly based off of what's going on. But again, it's just like, oh, there's something going on, but we're not always able to get answers for the full depth of what's going on in our body unless you really understand just how deep our body goes and all of these other players. There's something I wanted to add as you were saying that it just kind of piqued my, my interest. That's like, if your immune system is chronically under threat, which I believe most people are walking around with a a chronic degree of heightened immune response, there's always some degree of inflammation. When there's some degree of unregulated inflammation, there will be degeneration. And at some point, the body will stop being able to compensate for that and you will feel a symptom. And if a symptom goes on for long enough, you get to the point where you have dysfunction and that dysfunction will be named in the context of a disease. And you said something that's so true, just because you go to the doctor and it, they say you're not sick, it doesn't mean you're healthy. It just means you're not sick enough mm-hmm. to have a test come back to prove it. There's all kinds of in-between. If people want black and white in health, they go into the wrong industry. It is many different shades of gray. And it's being able to understand and answer the question, what's the body trying to do? I think is the most important thing as to where you start trying to reverse engineer this process to get somebody healthy again. So on the topic of immunity, How could we even discuss immunity without talking about the lymphatic system? And this is a system that is very breezed over (laughs) and very, very under discussed. And it's really important to understand how crucial the lymphatic system is for our immunity, as well as our overall health. So if someone is listening and you have never heard of the lymphatic system and you're like, what the hell is Sarah going on about this time? Could you describe to our listeners what the lymphatic system is? Yeah, it's our second circulatory system, right? So believe it or not, the lymphatic system actually is twice as, uh, I guess, big or large. It's got twice as many vessels as the cardiovascular system does. And what it does is um, our blood brings nutrition to cells and it takes away wastes and carbon dioxide. The lymphatic system actually helps to filter all of the nastiness that our cells spit out and it filters them through different things called lymph nodes. So if you've ever had like a a swollen gland under your neck or under your armpit or near your groin, that means your lymphatic system is filtering stuff out. So how does that connect to what we've been speaking about? We talked about if your immune system is pissed off because you've leaky gut and stuff is leaking into your circulatory system, the lymphatic system's job is to help filter that stuff and get it out of your body. 
So that's why the area under your arms or in your groin is pretty prone to sweating because sweating is a way to actually vacate that. But a lot of people want to start getting into things like detoxification and cleansing and all these things. So you can take products that help evacuate toxic compounds that may be in your body. But what, what happens if you can't get them out? What happens if your liver is not working well? What happens if your kidneys aren't working well? If you're dehydrated and your lymphatic system is sluggish, which most people are because they don't drink high quality water. So they're chronically dehydrated. They're sitting all day at a desk. So your lymphatic system, unlike the heart, doesn't have a pump that re requires movement. Uh, and the third thing is, if your lymphatic system is sluggish, it's not going to allow the filtration to happen properly. It's just going to keep everything in and you're going to agitate your immune system even further. So if you don't support your lymphatic system with hydration, good quality diet, which is kind of a foregone conclusion, being outside and getting light, like letting the sun hit your body or getting some red light and some infrared light therapy and getting regular exercise, your lymph is, lymph is going to become stagnant. And have you ever gone to like a, I don't know, like a nature area where you see water just sits and becomes stagnant, all kinds of nasty shit grows in the water. Water needs to be moving and dynamic. The body is the same thing. You know, the planet and us are very interconnected. So if we have a circulatory system that's not moving, we're not getting stuff out of our system. And what's the sign of that? We have like edema, we're holding liquid. If we have like weird body odor, if we have weird taste in our mouth, if our skin, if our sweat's gray, if we go into a sauna, it's a sign that our body has a whole bunch of toxic compounds that it wants to get out and our organs aren't working well. So it's pushing it out by any means necessary. So a lot of people who get cystic acne in those compromised areas of the body and women, it's especially important because of the use of antiperspirant, the use of bras, it really jams up the lymph nodes near the breast tissue. And I believe one reason breast cancer is so prevalent is because stagnant lymph holds a lot of toxic material that if it doesn't get out, it just causes a local inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. So what are your, some of your favorite ways aside from nutrition and high quality water and getting out in the sun to support lymph? Are there any practices that our listeners can try every day? I know a lot of people love dry skin brushing as one. You'll sometimes see people jumping on those mini trampolines. Well, rebounders, they work well, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you guys are so big in exercise, moving, like getting some heat in your body because when your body makes energy, it also makes heat. And heat has a very interesting aspect to where it actually improves the flow of water. So if our lymphatic system is mostly water and exercise stimulates heat to be built up in our muscles, well, our muscular system is totally interconnected with our lymphatic system. So it's going to help that flow even more. And if someone's up for it, uh, an infrared sauna is one of the best things that you can use, providing that you don't have a condition that makes you very sensitive to uh, you know, externally hot environments, because again, that's going to cause a, a movement of fluid. It's going to cause sweating and you're going to help evacuate some of that stuff. And I would say the third thing would be seeing a good osteopath, like a traditional osteopath uses the dynamics of all the fluids in the body flowing properly to maintain health because, you know, where things flow, energy goes. You want to make sure that that, that nature of flow in the body, which kind of relates to energy and like a TCM perspective, the chi if it's not flowing, it gets stagnant and stagnant energy is very harmful. to work. Mm -hmm. And I want to circle back real quick to high quality water. We understand what Ooh. high quality water means, but I'm sure some people heard that and were like, really <laughs> high quality water. So can you describe what that means and why it's important to have 
water that's not just from the tap full of halogens and other things i take water store. very seriously like I, I like even if we like have to top up a little bit of water in a glass with with uh with tap water i'm like mm -mm, mm -mm, mm, none of that right water is i mean and no one can really make money off of water as far as science goes um water is more than just hydration and people don't even understand what the concept of hydration is our body is mostly water so the quantity of the water in our bodies and the quality of the water in our bodies are probably the most important thing to make energy to circle back to this whole topic in the first place water should be a few things it should be free of toxic compounds so like you said no halogens no metals water should not be positively charged it should be negatively charged where does that come from well you said it minerals so water should have a high quantity of the 64 different trace minerals that should be representative in natural spring water. And if you want to go really nerdy, water should be structured because structured water behaves differently inside a cell than non-structured water. And you can't structure water that's full of toxic compounds. So high quality water comes from a spring source, ideally that flows from a gradient of high to low. And if you can find that, like I drive to a spring and I fill up my water or I buy, um, can't ever pronounce it for the life of me. It's this German water, Girlstinner. Uh, I have a bottle kicking around here somewhere. I know exactly which one you mean. It's in a glass bottle. Uh, old European people will import it because they say it's medicinal. And it is. It contains the most mineral content per parts per million because water without minerals, like reverse osmosis, is dead water. If water is negatively charged, our blood is negatively charged. Our lymph is. The area inside a cell is negatively charged. So we need to fill it with negatively charged water to keep everything in good working order. When we fill it with the opposite, that can be pro-inflammatory because those compounds negatively affect normal cellular function. So if someone's using a Brita or a countertop filter, you're taking some of the carbon out, but you're not getting the fluoride ions. You're not getting some of maybe the pesticide chemical residues from the water filtration system or you know, I'm in Ontario, the water we flush out through our toilets goes to the same place that the water that comes out of the tap comes from. So, you know, if you can do one thing and one thing only, it's drink tons of high quality water because there are so many people walking around dehydrated because their body's not holding on to the proper water and they're sick because they're dehydrated no matter how much water they consume. Okay, so let's say our listeners are listening. Well, hopefully they would be I listening. I hope they are. Tuned in. <laughs> yeah, right? Whoever's listening to this who is like, there is no way that I'm going out to a spring and driving to get water. What is one actionable item that somebody, let's say a mom with six kids in the middle of the suburbs, how can she start to drink higher quality water? So the different levels of water filtration are probably where I would push them. Um, if you want to be extra, you can get a home delivery service. You can get a really good quality service that delivers water to your house from a reputable source if you wish to spend money on that. If you want to install something in your home, you can get something that does filtration and ionization. So it goes through a multi-step process of filtering out all the impurities, but it will add the minerals back in to try to bring some of that, you know, life back to the water. And then if you need one thing, if you're on a budget, um, a Berkey filter is probably your best bet, which is like a countertop filter. You fill it up from the tap and it slowly drips uh, through the filtration system. So it removes a lot of the impurities that you would be otherwise consuming. Findaspring.com, and if there's a spring near you and you want to be uh, an all-star and get some of those like 19-liter jugs, just go fill them up. 
out here on the West Coast, I don't think a lot of people uh, have much excuses there. I'm pretty sure you can find some good natural springs around this area. Pretty sure in BC, you guys have a decent amount of spring water. (laughs) A couple thousand lakes. It's like everything in this stuff. It has to become a priority. And when you start diving into the research of water, water is not water. And it's not necessarily the most, you know, exhilarating thing to read about, but the right kind of water interacting with the right kind of light actually creates the ability to increase energy production in the body. So getting out in the sun and hydrating well and grounding with the earth will do more than any supplement to support energy production can providing you're not nutritionally deficient. Gang, we've talked about so many amazing topics on this podcast today, and I'm going to be going in depth into the podcast notes. So you're going to be able to find the podcast notes at embodiedwellnessco.com slash blog slash episode 30. That's the number 30. So there you're going to be able to find links to everything talking about the Krebs cycle, water filtration, maybe different types. Can't wait for that one. Hey, honestly, it's going to be important stuff. And anybody who's taking this stuff seriously, I know you're going to love that. So you can find the podcast notes there. Now, Roland, I want to make sure we're uh, respectful of your time. So I'm going to ask you one last question before we start heading off. And that is, you know, we talked about all of these things with our mitochondria and a little bit about how even water can help heal it. But how do we start to heal our mitochondria? That is a great question. Um, I think Sarah's uh, suggestion at the beginning was, you know, the excuse to not eat a diet that contains all the things you need on a daily basis is probably the best place to start. You know, there's really the the only excuse you create is one for yourself to not do it. So if you know that you're not what you eat, you, what you, what you are digesting and absorbing and assimilating, if you're eating food that's high in calories, but low in nutrients, when I say calories, I mean, high fats, high carbs, low vitamins, low minerals. It's a matter of time before you're going to start to feel fatigue because you're bringing garbage in. And if we are the sum of the inputs in our body, the output is going to be low energy. So that would be the first thing, you know, if your diet's not on point, start there. The second thing is I would say definitely add water to that because the amount of water in our cell also enhances how a mitochondria can function and turn that food into energy. Those would be the two basic first things. And the third thing would be sleep. If you're not sleeping, if you're not getting enough deep sleep, enough REM sleep, your physiology isn't going to go through the proper processes at night of recycling and re-energizing the different organs in your body. So those three things are where I would start. I know it's not the shiny new object that maybe people want to hear, but it's what I see everyone benefit from once they dial it in and make it a priority. And I think it also comes back to something that I've explained or a concept on this podcast before that's general strategies typically outperform very specific protocols for most people and what they need. So if you just listen to the three actionable items, get enough sleep, eat a good diet, drink water. I'll also add getting out in the sunlight, especially in the morning, getting morning rays of light. How many times have you heard us say that as a support for something on this podcast, right? And partially because it's so integral for our overall health. And after listening to this, also because everything comes down to our mitochondrial health and our ability to produce energy. And I'm going to add in a fifth one, which is working on your mindset and stress management and what's going on in your brain as well, right? Because that your cells are listening to everything that you think. So these five things that we repeat day in and day out that you've heard us say before, they work 
for almost everything. And we love to overcomplicate things as humans. We love to be like, oh, mitochondrial support. I'm going to look up all of the supplements I can take to support my mitochondria. And I'm going to go on a very specific diet. And it's, it's really easy to obsess over these small things. But if we just zoom out and understand what our body needs on a, on a basic, but also very deep level, it's going to help you in so many areas of your health, no matter what you have going on. The body's got to move. You know, we got to, they stimulate energy production by using energy. They're, they're basic foregone conclusions, but you made said something really good. A lot of people who experience chronic fatigue and issues related to energy production, because it's their reality, it becomes their mindset and they become their condition. And the more you tell yourself that, you know, perception is reality, the more you power that up and the outside facing world is always going to be one of exhaustion, fatigue. I'm not able to get better. Why am I sick? Things of that nature. So it really does start with a perspective change and everything falls out from there when you believe it, you know, where thought goes, energy flows, not to be cliche, but it kind of happens that way. Roland, you've been a bit of a ghost on social media and the internet lately, but I know you're starting to get back on there and be a bit more vocal. Where can people find you at? I have been a ghost. I don't do the social media thing well because I just, I don't. Um, I'm, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I think just my full name, Roland Pankowicz. If you just search me, there's only one. There's got to be only one. <laughs> I'll link it in the podcast notes. Yeah, I've done other podcasts out there. I'm in the process of building out something from an education perspective and from a, a platform. So there are different organizations that I will be connecting with that when I have them launched and as, as something tangible, I can let you guys know. But yeah, I'm on Instagram. And if you want to add me and if you want to ask me questions, I'm usually pretty good about responding because I just like this stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man, when it's time to launch those platforms, you know, Sarah and I are going to be massive supporters of it. So I'd love to have you back on. Maybe we can dive into some other topics and begin to dive deeper into health in all kinds. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast again today, man. It has been a pleasure and I can't wait for us to meet up again in person. Yeah, it'll be great. Thanks for having me both of you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. The information and other content provided in this podcast or any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider and seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you may have heard on this podcast or any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are of no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institution.